Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Racism is complicated. That was made really clear during my conversation with this week's guest, Brian Beaver. He is a band council member for Aldeville First Nations. He was born and raised in the community, then he went off and worked elsewhere, but he eventually returned. One of his jobs was working for the Canadian Human Rights Commission, developing policy. He knows a lot about racism, not just from his career, but also from his life experiences. This is the fourth in a series of interviews exploring racism in Northumberland County. So far, the show has looked at racism in terms of the incidence of racist graffiti in Hamilton Township in Port Hope back in October. Then we looked at a group of friends who started an initiative to end discrimination in response to a woman's experience of racism in Coburg. Next, we spoke with Coburg Councillor Emily Chorley about the Town Council's efforts to create an Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Committee. It was a chance to see how a municipality was tackling racism within the county. Today's interview is different. It examines the nature of racism in the context of both institutions and individuals. Brian Beaver reflects on the hundreds of years of policies, regulations, and structures that exploit, undermine, and assimilate Indigenous people. This was done across Canada and locally. As he unravels the Gordian knot of these actions, he reveals not only the systemic nature of racism, but something deeper. He calls it attitudinal racism. The interview is also surprising in other ways. Listen carefully as he talks about how he sees racism expressed by individuals. He offers a unique perspective on how we can address those who hold racist views. It might surprise you, and it certainly surprised me. Here's the first part of my interview with Brian Beaver talking about the Indigenous experience of racism. I'm so pleased to have with me today Brian Beaver. He is a councillor on the Alderville Band Council. Welcome to Consider This. Uh, Good morning, Robert. Thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share a bit about uh, myself and about the experiences of the uh, people of my community, Alderville First Nations. So, uh, miigwech for this. In the Buffalo News in 1996, you wrote about a time when there was a debate going on about changing the name of Alderville to reflect the community's Ojibwe heritage. And you wrote, and I'm quoting you now, When I think of Alderville, I think of the hardships and obstacles our ancestors confronted and overcame when they moved to Alderville in 1836 to meet our obligations in a treaty. Wild game was scarce, there was no farms or equipment, and no source of income. White settlers, feeling threatened, ignored the Indians and hoped they would go away. Our ancestors were demoralized, bitter, and betrayed. Reading that, it would appear that there has been discrimination against the Indigenous people in Northumberland 
almost from the beginning. And as someone who has written a book about the history of Alderville, do you feel the same sentiments by white settlers still exists today? Um, that, that's an interesting point. I was thinking about that earlier. Uh, uh, so society has changed considerably in the last 30 years. Uh, 30 years ago, the media, for example, denied and never mentioned there was racism in Canada. Now it's discussed openly. Uh, that's a result of uh, Black Lives Matter incel, the Me Too movement, and of course in Canada, the uh, Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission's uh, uh, report and calls calls to action that it uh, published, uh, as well as uh, um, the, for example, the Potlatek people's uh, uh, fight to retain their right to uh, harvest lobsters in Nova Scotia and the obstacles that uh, they're, they're dealing with in terms of the peoples uh, around them. Um, that, that's just one example of it. I could uh, name many, many, many. But society has changed, uh, and for the better, we... There is a lot of support for uh, Indigenous issues and uh, the uh, situation Alderville members might find themselves in in Northumberland today. We have a lot of support, a lot of friends, a lot of acquaintances. There's a tremendous amount of intermarriage. Um, but there are still a minority who disagree with that, object to it. We've had a few situations where parents have openly and vehemently uh, stated that their children were not going to marry Indians, etc., 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 and uh, have stated very negatively uh, the reasons why. So that brings us up to this point in time, I think. When you hear about these incidences of, of blatant racism, how do you think about those undercurrents from those voices, and what kind of impact do they have on the community? Um, I, th I think the impact perhaps is greatest and probably uh, more from a sad, sad, the saddest perspective uh, affecting the young people uh, because they're learning, they're growing, uh, they're being taught to... Uh, um, take pride in their, in, in their heritage, their culture, their language, and the fact that they are Indigenous people. Uh, parents are attempting to shape them to be better, better people, um, good citizens. And yet, uh, when you hear these types of negative comments, it hurts because uh, we don't think often enough of the um, human side of racism that people are hurt by it, particularly the young people. When we're older, we can we can accept that there are a, a segment of society. There is a segment of society that um, that is racist. Um, a segment of society that. Uh, feels free to make their comments public, their negative, disparaging comments public. 
So it does hurt the youth, uh, um, their self-respect, their, their image as, as a community, um, and so on. What do you do as a community to support the youth when they are going through these kinds of situations, and how do you help them deal with it? Um, it's a multifaceted approach. Uh, we uh, have a, uh, an education program that uh, lies with uh, principal school boards. For example, the Corth and Pine Ridge School Board uh, uh, is actively involved in uh, promoting Indigenous culture and uh, trying, to, trying to cut out racism wherever they find it. Uh, there was an example of, of a school trustee, for example, who made uh, disparaging comments about Aboriginal drumming in relation to music, etc. And uh, uh, he refused to resign. Um, eventually, the school board uh, convinced him that uh, he had to resign, and he did. But he didn't have any regrets about what he said. It's, it's rather unfortunate. Uh, um, the chief and council at the time um, arranged for the school to uh, conduct an assembly where the chief and council um, acknowledged the, um, the efforts um, put forth by the two students who who reported the uh, the actions, the comments made by the trustee, they were rewarded with uh, iPads and thanked, and uh, uh, appreciation was expressed uh, on behalf of the chief and council and the community for their efforts. That's a very public way of showing support, but for families that are struggling with, with this, these kinds of comments and these acts of racism against young people, how do you support the kids individually or the families themselves? Um, the, the community uh, led by the chief and council of Alderville uh, for many years has been uh, attempting to reinstate and practice the, our traditional culture, which has been lost. So as a result of us practicing our, our, our traditions, our culture, uh, and so on, we've, uh, we've instilled a, a new pride in who we are, a new pride in uh, Indigenous culture. Uh, we made attempts to uh, keep our language alive. Uh, we have... Uh, members who uh, actively promote uh, the retention of our language. They teach the language to the young uh, whenever possible. Uh, we, we have traditions such as uh, our powwows, our other cultural events that uh, are attempts to instill pride in our youth. How has this pride evolved over time? Are we seeing a resurgence now in cultural pride, in pressing traditions? Um, from my perspective, um, it's, it's new. Um, there was a period when we didn't practice our traditional cultures uh, 
norms, etc. Um, we had lost a lot of these because um, attempts by governments, uh, the Canadian government, government, the provinces, uh, the missionaries who attempted to assimilate us and uh, attempted to make us become brown white people. Uh, they wanted us to uh, be rid of our uh, cultural culture, our traditions, our language, even our uh, even our clothing and, and food. Uh, we lost. Um, in the 1960s, there was a rejuvenation of uh, many cultures. Uh, the French Canadian culture was. Uh, uh, rejuvenated uh, by the people. Uh, same with indigenous culture in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, uh, there was a, a movement uh, to bring back our culture and traditions because that's who we are. If we've lost that, then we, we really don't know who we are. We would be lost in this uh, world. We'd be like everybody else. In that 1996 article, you also talk about pe the people of Alderville persevering. What other hardships has Alderville faced historically? Uh, we've had a unique and very interesting history. Uh, our people around 1700, uh, the uh, Mississauga people, we call ourselves Anishinaabe, uh, but the people moved from uh, north of Superior to southern Ontario, um, as far west as um, uh, the Credit River. Uh, the ancestors of the people of Alderville uh, settled in the Quinty area, the beautiful Bay of Quinty. Um, that was about 1700. Uh, the Europeans were here, the British were fighting the French, they used us as allies wherever possible. Uh, in fact, we helped them win uh, many battles and uh, and probably the war itself. Um, so we've had a history of uh, of of moving uh, along with the challenges uh, accompanying that. Um, the um, the challenges of dealing with a culture that didn't necessarily accept us, that used us to uh, for military purposes. Um, when you think of the British, for example, we uh, initially we were allies of the French uh, because the uh, the British uh, had uh, chosen the Iroquois as their allies, and we were uh, uh, traditional enemies of the Iroquois. So we supported the French uh, when the British conquered the North America by defeating the French. Uh, we then. Uh, Helped the assisted the Ameri uh, the British uh, in the in the war with the Americans, for example, uh, by defeating the uh, um, the Americans in several battles. Um, once peace was signed in 1812, the British had no need of military allies, so they basically ignored us and and started uh, a, uh, a large movement to uh, obtain 
lands in the Bay of Quinty, which they uh, then gave to the uh, United Empire Loyalists. But they, they took that land that land from us. We lost most of our land back then. Uh, so since then, we've, we've been uh, ruled basically by the Indian Act, which uh, makes made decisions on our uh, behalf uh, right from the cradle to the grave. Uh, they've made decisions for us. They've, they've taken away our uh, sense of responsibility to a great extent. So, so it's been a constant battle to maintain our dignity and our self-respect and our autonomy given these types of challenges. From uh, co uh, first contact in 1492 up until now, really. When you think about it, though, historically, people from the community have faced many instances where they were not given the same privileges as others, and you've alluded to that a little bit so far. There was the removal of children from families uh, to go to residential schools. There was the inability to vote until 1960. The fact that Indigenous people could not get a bank loan to start a business or the, as we've talked already, the suppression of culture and tradition. It's hard not to think that all of this was driven by racist attitudes of others. I, I'm curious what you think. Uh, I think uh, racism played a part of it, but uh, at the same time, um, there, there were elements of racism in these types of activities and decisions, but at the same time, uh, some of the decisions and activities were were done to improve our lot as a, as indigenous peoples. Uh, for example, the missionaries, uh, while attempting to assimilate us, they were attempting to uh, make life better for us and give us the tools and the education that we would need to uh, adapt and live and succeed in, a, in, a, in an English world. So I think it's, a, it's multifaceted, it's complex, um, but there are elements of racism in there. Is this what continues, though, to lie beneath the treatment of Indigenous people today? Uh, what are current examples that you could give us that still discrimination... Um, exists and 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 people. You've mentioned one example already of young people being uh, uh, slurred against. Can can you give us some other examples currently? Um, some of the issues that I I think are are crucial are uh, uh, funding. Uh, from different levels of government to uh, indigenous uh, communities and to municipalities and uh, towns and cities across the country. We've, for about 500 years, we, we have been ignored. We haven't received uh, our share of the pie. We haven't received as much funding uh, as other municipalities and towns have been given. Uh, it's been only recently where we've been provided with uh, with additional funding, not enough, but additional funding from different levels of government. And of course, when when governments 
and initiate a program and with funding, they publicize it. So that the media contains many stories about how much money, how many billions are being spent on indigenous people. When in fact, this is only a, a recent uh, uh, aspect that's only started in the last uh, uh, few years. So it's a catch up. Um, so when people see how much supposedly is being spent on indigenous people by government, they're concerned because uh, the most important part of culture today in Canada is money. Everybody's concerned about money, dollars, dollars, dollars. Everybody wants more, more, more. Um, money has replaced uh, the churches as the most important part of culture in, in North America today. So, so much of the negative negative comments, negative views, negative attitudes towards Indigenous people are based on misconceptions about money. Over the years, over the last 40 years, I've met many, many people uh, across Canada. And, and of course, they, they ask me and recognize that I'm Indigenous. People don't ask about culture. They don't ask about uh, attitudes, etc., about indigenous people. They they ask about money. They 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 say they all ask if we pay income tax. There's a a misconception about the fact that uh, we do pay income tax, but. Uh, most people think we don't, and that's just an example of uh, 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 money issues that uh, affect the uh, relations with uh, Indigenous people and uh, other people around us in Canada. I think you're right. This is so complex how everything is interwoven together. I, I, was, I was thinking as you were talking, you know, when you look at the, the lobster fishery issue or the lack of clean water or even the pipeline out west, how do we look at the behavior of the Canadian government, of corporations, of people, and, and, and say that the way that they act isn't somehow underlying at all, driven by a type of racism, a discrimination against uh, a peoples, and, and the, the decisions that are made and the way that they're made and they're carried out and the treatment isn't somehow go back to a root of, of racist attitudes? Um, I would think there's that element in there. Uh, when you look at uh, the Potlatek uh, situation in, Nova, uh, in Cape Breton, the First Nations defending their, their right to harvest lobster um, and an, an, an inherent right given in the Constitution and reinforced by a Supreme Court decision. Uh, so they were attempting to carry out their activities. And as you say, there was a, um, a lot of uh, objections. Uh, it, it got to the point where it was actually dangerous to be a, a part of that uh, activity there. 
and yet the RCMP stood by and didn't intervene when when lobster lobster traps and boats were destroyed by uh, non-indigenous people. So you wonder how was that intentional discrimination or or was it an attempt to defuse the uh, situation to deter violence? It's it's hard to say. Yeah, I guess so, because, you know, what we're really talking about are what are in the hearts of the individuals who are acting. Exactly, yes. And, and you know, we don't get to peer in to that and, and understand where that is. And yet, at the same time, um, you were talking earlier about how people's actions and the decisions that they make are hurtful, um, not just in a, in a feeling way, but also in an economic way, in a social way, in a cultural way. So I, I agree with you, you know, that it really is a very complex uh, knot of, of, of different things that play into this. And yet throughout all of it, when we talk about racism, we always seem to hive it off into a separate set of actions or a separate set of comments or, or whatever. And it seems to be dealt with separately. And I'm curious about how you envision all the complexity of this and, and how tightly it's all woven together. Uh, I'm not quite clear what you're asking. Could you? Uh, I, I wasn't asking. I was just making a comment. I guess. I, uh, forgive me. I, I didn't really have a question in there. I was just trying to wrap my head around our conversation, um, and just trying to see how th this is so complex. I guess is is my point. And I'm I'm asking you. I, I guess uh, to maybe talk a bit more about you know things like water, things like uh, residential schools, things like the pipelines out west. I mean, these are highly complex, and I, I guess what I'm trying to do is get down to how racism is, is an underlying current within all of the other things that are going on within that. Um, I could be wrong. I think that's a very good point. Um, can we hold here for a minute? Sure, of course. I've got to think this through. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's difficult to, to prove that these are racist activities and that racism is behind uh a lot of these uh, situations that arise across the country uh, some of the examples you you've talked about uh, governments are in a, in a difficult situation where uh, the liberals right now are attempting to promote reconciliation and yet at the same time they owe the people of British Columbia the right to carry out an economic livelihood that may not that, that would contradict what, what the Liberals are trying to do uh, with reconciliation so it is difficult, it's multifaceted um, and it's difficult to prove that it's uh, uh, racism 
pulled again. Sorry, I'm lost on this. Yeah, me too. I I I understand. It, it's it. I'm I'm beginning to appreciate the complexity as you presented it. That was Brian Beaver, band counselor and elder in Alderville. When we come back, there will be more of my conversation. Please stay tuned to consider this on Northumberland 89.7 FM, your truly local source for news. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. This is Consider This Northumberland and I'm your host, Robert Washburn, and you're listening to Northumberland 89.7 FM. The fascinating thing about this interview was the free flow of ideas. At points, it felt more like a discussion than a formal back-and-forth question-and-answer interview. In the next segment, Brian Beaver reflects on some more personal aspects of his experience with racism, from his childhood in Alderville to leaving to get a higher education and on to a career. You will hear how he was lucky not to be taken away to a residential school. Although he was able to live at home and surrounded by family and friends, the efforts of the government to undermine Indigenous culture and assimilate him were at work. Brian will also talk about the situation in Northumberland today and what can be done to improve relations with the Indigenous community. Here is the last part of my conversation with Brian Beaver. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Um, I grew up at uh, Alderville. Um, I attended uh, school at Alderville. We were lucky in the sense that uh, we did have a day school at Alderville. Um, it was uh, administered by Indian Affairs. It had an Indian Affairs. Just a sec. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So we we did uh, avoid the uh, the residential school situation where. All, all the students were taken away for, for years and sent to residential, residential schools. And so many of them uh, were treated badly. They were sexually harassed, mentally harassed, uh, physically harassed. Uh, the, their culture was killed. Their language was lost. Uh, so the people of Alderville uh, and myself avoided that experience. By We were able to attend a school at our community. Um, We did have a member uh, from the community who taught for many, many years, I think 26 years. Uh, So we were so lucky to have that experience. Uh, But and yet at the same time, because the curriculum was Indian Affairs, our culture was not promoted. Language wasn't promoted. Uh, we lost. Uh, we lost in that regard. Uh, the, even the books in the library. Uh, I remember one breast breastplate and buckskin. Uh, the negative comments about the indigenous people in those books. Uh, so we learned at a very young age that we weren't necessarily accepted in Canada. That there was racism. Uh, negative attitudes about indigenous people but uh, in a sense we were safe because we did grow up with many many of our own members around us who supported us so we were lucky in that regard what are we talking about what what time period 
Uh, this was the 50s and the 60s. Uh, about that time, Indian Affairs decided that grades 6 and 7 would be sent to Cobring schools. So it was a shock. All of a sudden, uh, we were uh, wrenched out of our uh, comfortable uh, surroundings at our um, community school and sent off to a, uh, a, large, uh, a large school predominantly uh, non-Indigenous people, of course, and they didn't always accept us. Um, we experienced uh, racist comments, negative comments, uh, even from the principal, uh, for example, the principal who should be setting a good example and perhaps acting as a role model, made comments like, uh, well, when the women get married, they'll they'll be able to change their awful last names. What he was referring to was our, our names like Beaver, Crow, Smoke, etc., which we were proud of. We were very proud of all those names because uh, they were historic, they were traditional, they were part of us. And yet here was the principal of the school telling us that these names were awful. <laughs> um, so... It took time for the students to get to know us and accept us. Uh, that is only some of the students. Uh, um, many of the students uh, were friendly and did support us, but there was a, a segment that uh, ridiculed us and uh, made fun of us and teased us. Uh, some people would say, well, isn't that simply razzing or provoking? But and that may be true, but when, when cultural aspects are brought into it, and when you're dealing with children, then it's, it's harmful. It's very uh, negative. Do you remember how you felt during that time and when these things happened? Um, it was it was shocking. Uh, as I uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um, we were lucky because we were indigenous people who who lived at a First Nations, so we were surrounded by uh, by our own people who uh, who groomed us and educated us and uh, nurtured us and uh, helped us understand that uh, all these types of attitudes are uh, are not worthy of consideration uh, and that they were coming from people who. Uh, were not nice people. Um, when you finished high school, did you work locally? Uh, I graduated from uh, Fleming College and uh, got a job with the federal government, uh, which I stayed with and retired in about 2006. Uh, during that time, I worked for various federal government departments, uh, Public Service Commission, Corrections, the Canadian Human Rights Commission. Um, I did policy work, uh, program development uh, with the Canadian Human Rights Commission. I, I helped uh, develop a new audit program and implement, test and implement an audit program, uh, auditing uh, uh, employers who who were federally regulated um, audited them in terms of their compliance with the Employment Equity Act, which uh, 
which meant that they had to uh, eliminate barriers in terms of employment with uh, for Aboriginal people, persons with disabilities, women, and so on. So uh, I worked for those departments now, until I retired in 2006. What sort of things did you see in terms of uh, how, how Indigenous people were being treated? Um, what, what is interesting about the employment equity legislation and the discussion that takes place today, the, uh, the Employment Equity Act requires that employers eliminate, identify, and eliminate uh, systemic barriers, barriers to employment. Um, and a lot of the discussion today about racism in, in Canada and the U.S. talks about systemic, it's phrased as systemic discrimination. Systemic to me is structure, is programs and policies in place in organizations, uh, if you follow me, um, talking about systemic racism relates to those types of activities. Um, I would I would prefer to hear a discussion about attitudinal barriers, attitudinal racism, because that's where uh, a lot of the problems lie is the attitudes of people, a certain a certain segment of the population. How do you define that then? This attitudinal racism. What are we talking about? Um, attitudinal racism. That that's where individuals who have negative racist attitudes toward another group actually are in a position to harm those um, individuals. Uh, they, they may refuse to hire them. Uh, they may hurt their uh, promotional uh, um, opportunities in organizations. Um, from my perspective, it's, it's, so, it's unfortunately okay to, be, to have racist attitudes and views as long as you don't harm anybody with them. But once you're in a position to affect the lives of other individuals, then it's a concern. So many people will tell you quickly that they're not racist, nor do they discriminate. Do you think that's true? Um, I think there is a segment of society that that is racist. I don't think most people are. Um, I, I think racism is learned. It's inherited from parents. It's generational. Um, an acquaintance of mine once had a conversation with me and he was concerned about his attitudes towards indigenous people. He said he, he was racist, he had negative views, and he's trying to overcome them. Uh, but it's, and it came from his parents. It's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult situation for sure. Um, often when people with uh, 
negative attitudes about other groups. Uh, once they've met and socialized with, oh, up to five people at least, five quality people from uh, the members of uh, the the group that they they are racist against. Uh, once they get to know these people, they realize that these people are okay, that their attitudes were wrong, and, and they can change them to a great extent. So I think that helps. It, it's Partly it's education, partly it's experience getting to know uh, groups uh, for the first time, probably. Uh, but there still may be the hardcore group, whether they be uh, Proud Boys, other types of supremacist, uh, incel. There's, there's a group that's maybe always will be there. But hopefully they won't be in a position to harm others. So how do we begin to address this in our community, racism in our community? Um, the Northumberland Council is a good example. Um, um, they've, they have invited uh, uh, Alderville First Nation Council to meet with them at a joint council uh, at least once a year. So we do meet, we, we uh, explore opportunities, we talk about issues that are common. Uh, it's very helpful and uh, uh, I'm pleased with the, uh, the attempts by the council to include us and to, uh, to learn with us because we both learn from this. Uh, they learn about uh, about our culture, about our attitudes, about uh, our views, and um, why we think the way we do about particular issues that we might have in common. Uh, they open with a, a, a statement uh, uh, that um, they recognize that uh, they are uh, on traditional Mississauga territory. Um, a lot of the uh, items we talk about are culture, cultural, for example. Uh, Katie Kennedy, uh, uh, who's with uh, Northumberland County uh, Archives and Museums, uh, is working act uh, actively to uh, include in the, the new museum and archive building at the Golden Plow Lodge elements of Aboriginal culture and language. She's incorporated these, um, along with the advisory group that is incorporating these aspects into the new museum and archives. So there's a lot being done and a lot of it, as I say, is education. Uh, the media, the, uh, the people can actively uh, open discussions about these issues and and uh, perhaps the media could uh, play a role in, uh, in recording them and uh, advertising them. The, you, I noticed you talked about political things being done, but what about at the grassroots level? What, what do we need to do going forward um, as, as citizens, as residents of Northumberland? Uh, if you take the example of schools, for example, um, the principal... Um, of the Northumberland Christian School uh, recently picked up uh, 
a copy of my book, Aldeville First Nation, A History. And she was so enthused about having the opportunity to to read that book and learn from it and and convey some of the messages to the students. In fact, she asked me if I would be willing to come and talk to the students about uh, about my culture, our history, racism, and so on and so on. So, um, a, a lot is being done from a, a, a level of that the students uh, and their schools. Um, can we stop there for a minute? Sure. I have to get a drink of water. I think uh, I think uh, the average person in the county would benefit by learning, reading about our history, the uh, the indigenous uh, history of the area. Um, once you understand what uh, people have been through, their experiences. Other challenges, overcoming these challenges, you take on a whole new perspective and, and outlook on these people. So I think education uh, plays a very important part in, in uh, resolving these issues. Brian Beaver, thank you so much for talking to me today. I truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you. That was Brian Beaver, a band council member in Alderville First Nations. I want to thank both my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. While we are busy self-isolating, it's important to remember the world has not stopped entirely. If you know of a good story or have an idea for a story, please let me know. You can email me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com and include as much detail as possible, especially contact information. If you have any comments, questions, rants, or raves, you can also email me at that same address, or you can go to my Facebook page, Consider This. Or if you're on Twitter, you can message me, at rwash. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more from Consider This.